MSW Media. Thanks to Real Paper for supporting Daily Beans. No new trees are cut down to make Real Paper products, which is awesome. Sign up for a subscription and get 30% off your first order at real, R-E-E-L, paper.com slash dailybeans, or use my code dailybeans, all one word, at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, January 28th, 2022. Today, President Biden reconfirms his promise to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. A federal judge speeds up the handoff of John Eastman's coup emails to the January 6th committee. The man who sold the gun to the terrorist who took hostages in the Colleyville Synagogue is charged with a federal firearm crime. And Madison Cawthorn's defense in the 14th Amendment legal action meant to block him from running again is the Confederate Amnesty Act. No, I'm not kidding. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody, just a quick apology. There's a lot of construction going on around my house right now. So if you hear some banging and pounding, it's nothing fun. Uh, I just wanted you to be aware of it and uh, apologize for that in advance. Later on in the show today, I'm going to be talking with Glenn Kirshner, the host of Justice Matters. And we're going to discuss what's going on with the Department of Justice. And then I'll be joined by Amy Carrero for the good news, which I always look forward to as well. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Top news today. President Biden formally announced the retirement of Justice Stephen Breyer on Thursday, a step that kicks off a weeks long political clash, as the New York Times calls it. I disagree on Capitol Hill as Mr. Biden seeks to put his imprint on the Supreme Court. Mr. Biden said he would name a successor by the end of February. So he's given himself a deadline and he's going to have a very deliberate vetting process. But he declined to answer questions about that process, saying that the day should be focused on Justice Breyer and his career. Now, speaking with the justice by his side from the Roosevelt Room, Mr. Biden hailed Breyer for four decades on the federal bench, including almost 28 years on the Supreme Court. Biden called it a bittersweet day and praised Breyer for his remarkable career of public service and his, quote, clear eyed commitment to making our laws work for the people. Quote, I think he's a model public servant in a time of division in this country. In a letter to the president made public just after noon, Justice Breyer confirmed his retirement, calling it a great honor to have participated in the effort to maintain the Constitution and the rule of law. He said he would remain in place until his you know, replacement was confirmed. So that's interesting, too. He said June or July, but I'll be here until they're confirmed. So I'll and so that's kind of, you know, gave everyone a little breath of relief there. In brief remarks after the president spoke, he also recalled what he often told students who ask about his job. He said he marveled at the diversity of opinions that came before the court and how the American experiment managed to continue. Interesting choice of words. Quote, it's every race, it's every religion, and it's every point of view possible, he said, attributing that quote to his mother. And then he said, it's kind of a miracle. People that are so different in what they think, and yet they've decided to help solve their major differences under law. In his letter, Breyer made it clear, as I said, he would continue to serve on the court until the end of his term and would not leave before a successor is confirmed. Quote, I intend this decision to take effect when the court rises for the summer recess this year, typically June or July, assuming that by then my successor has been nominated and confirmed. Now, that timeline will give Biden several months to find a successor for Breyer. 
uh, while being confident that he will stay on the court until the new justice is confirmed by the Senate. Breyer also invoked the Gettysburg Address, also a very interesting choice. In the days ahead, Biden will be free to make good on the promise he made as a presidential candidate in 2020, fighting for Democratic nominations. He pledged to be the first president to select a black woman for a life appointment on the court. That decision of whom to nominate as a replacement for Breyer, a liberal jurist, by the way, will not affect the ideological balance of the court. It's going to stay 6-3. But Biden, who has said repeatedly that he views efforts to promote diversity as a big part of his legacy, is poised to make that historic and long-lasting imprint on what the court looks like. In his remarks Thursday, Biden said he would look broadly for advice from outside legal experts, senators and others. He made a point of saying he would look to Vice President Kamala Harris, who he calls an exceptional lawyer. She's a former attorney general of California, as we know, served on the Judiciary Committee when she was in the Senate. And uh, Biden said, I will listen carefully to the advice I'm given. Still, speculation has already focused on three black jurists, and they have been confirmed as the top three candidates here. Katanji Brown Jackson, 51-year-old judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C., Leandra Kruger, 45-year-old justice in the California Supreme Court, and Jane Michelle Childs, that's Clyburn's favorite, 55, federal district court judge in South Carolina, whom Biden recently nominated for a judgeship on the federal appeals court. The president could still pick someone else. There are several women in the running. He's not required to elevate someone who's already a judge, though that's by far the most common route to the Supreme Court. Some of Mr. Biden's predecessors have picked politicians and lawyers and law professors. But the president is not expected to stray from his pledge to ensure that his pick is a black woman. And he emphasized that pledge on Thursday. He said, quote, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be one with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the Supreme Court. Also in the news today, speaking of federal judges, a federal judge is ramping up pressure on attorney John Eastman. That's, you know, a coup ally in Donald Trump's effort to subvert the election on January 6, 2021, putting pressure on him to begin producing thousands of pages of records to congressional investigators. This is a Judge David Carter, who already sharply rejected Eastman's attempt to block the, the committee's subpoena for 19,000 pages of emails and documents held by his former employer, Chapman University. And the judge issued a detailed plan Wednesday to help speed the process along. Carter ordered Eastman to begin reviewing at least 1,500 pages per day, business day, starting Friday, and immediately transfer any unprivileged documents to the House committee. For documents Eastman deems privileged, Carter ordered the attorney to itemize them in a detailed privilege log that describes their contents and other relevant details. Carter also laid out a detailed process for the committee to challenge any of Eastman's privilege claims, which would trigger a personal review by Carter, the judge, to determine whether the assertion was valid. Eventually, Carter ruled he would uh, hold a hearing to adjudicate any privileged disputes. The judge is taking a more hands-on approach than any federal judge so far to aid the January 6th Select Committee's effort to access specific documents from uh, a reluctant and recalcitrant witness. Carter has repeatedly expressed support for the January 6th Committee investigation, ruling in the panel's favor on three successive days and underscoring the urgency of the committee's work to understand the causes of the attack on the Capitol by a mob of Trump supporters many seeking to stop the transfer of power from Trump to Biden. The effort by Carter followed a round of sniping between Eastman's attorneys and the January 6th committee lawyer, that's Doug Letter, who accused Eastman of slow walking the court order review. Doug Letter had accused Eastman of refusing to act expeditiously after Carter ruled Tuesday Eastman should quickly begin reviewing and providing documents to the committee. Quote, the select committee is concerned about the pace of plaintiff's review. 
And that's what Doug Letter wrote in an update to the court Wednesday afternoon. This court ordered the plaintiff to begin work on production and creating a privilege log on Tuesday, January 25th by noon p.m. Pacific. Yet it appears the plaintiff hasn't even begun reviewing the documents at issue. Under Carter's plan, Eastman would be required to use an electronic program to speed his review process. And the January 6th committee would cover the cost of that program. We'll pay for it. Eastman would be required to produce a daily tranche of documents to the committee that he deems unprivileged. The log of privileged claims would identify the date, number of pages, author, and intended recipients of any of the emails and communications, and it would require a general description of the email and any attachments and the name of the client at issue, unless Eastman asserts privilege over that client's identity, of course. And Carter has asked Eastman and the committee to provide all additional updates on Friday. That's today. So we'll see how that goes. And from Talking Points Memo, a lawyer for Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina, Republican representative, cited an 1872 congressional action granting amnesty to Confederate soldiers to defend Madison Cawthorn and his eligibility for office. The argument from Cawthorn lawyer James Bopp Jr. came in response to a legal effort to have Cawthorn declared ineligible for office because he allegedly encouraged and upon reasonable suspicion, helped aid the insurrection on January 6th. Now, the legal challenge from a group of North Carolina voters backed by the organization Free Speech for People, who we had, you remember we had John Boniface on our show from Free Speech for People, and this complaint alleges that Cawthorn violated the third section of the 14th Amendment, which states no person shall be a representative of Congress who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. Pretty straightforward. On the phone with Talking Points Memo Wednesday, Cawthorn's lawyer, Bop, who, by the way, is, I think, I think, if it rings a bell, I think that was the Indiana University vaccine guy and also the Citizens United guy. Bop said, there are substantial constitutional defenses, which include the fact that Congress passed the 1872 Amnesty Act, which removed all persons whatsoever from the disability under Section 3 as a result of engaging in an insurrection or a rebellion, a.k.a. the Civil War. Free Speech for the People has made no secret of the fact that it plans on challenging the eligibility of other members of Congress as well. But in North Carolina, it's specifically useful for challenges of Cawthorn's eligibility because it puts the burden on the candidate to demonstrate by a preponderance of the evidence of the record as a whole that he or she is qualified. So the burden's on Cawthorn. Interesting. We'll keep an eye on this for you. And a man who allegedly sold a weapon in the Dallas area to the gunman who took four hostages in the North Texas synagogue earlier this month has been charged with a federal firearm crime. That's according to a federal prosecutor on Wednesday. Henry Michael Williams, 32, was arrested on a state warrant in Texas on Monday. Williams is being charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm, according to a statement from the U.S. Justice Department. Williams previously had been convicted for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and attempted possession of a controlled substance. And Williams' attorney did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Authorities say Malik Faisal Akram held four hostages on January 15th in a standoff that lasted 11 hours or so at Colleyville's Congregation Beth Israel, a synagogue northeast of Fort Worth. The FBI has said it's considering the incident a terrorist act and a hate crime. Akram was in the U.S. on a tourist visa, according to the Associated Press, which means he wasn't legally allowed to purchase a gun in the United States. The Dallas FBI field office assisted in locating the seller, the Department of Justice said. Williams was tied to Akram through an analysis of cell phone records, which showed the two exchange calls from January 11th to the 13th. It's unclear how Akram and Williams got in contact in the first place, 
but Akram stayed in at least three North Texas homeless shelters prior to the attack. Williams made his initial appearance on Wednesday in U.S. District Court for Northern District of Texas. His detention hearing is set to be held Monday, and the court ordered his confinement in a corrections facility in the meantime. Attacks and hate crimes against Jewish people have been on the rise in the United States. That's according to anti-hate groups. Religious leaders in Texas have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and countless hours to bolster security in their places of worship in recent years. And today is Holocaust Memorial Day. And as we remember the millions of Jews persecuted and murdered by the Nazis and an awful ideology, we've learned that a school board in Tennessee voted unanimously this month to ban Mouse, a Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic novel about the Holocaust, from being taught in its classrooms because it contains material that board members says was inappropriate for students. According to the minutes of the meeting, the 10-person board in McMinn County, Tennessee, voted January 10th to remove the book from its eighth grade curriculum. Members of the board said the book, which portrays Jews as mice and Nazis as cats, in recounting the author's parents' experience during the Holocaust, contained inappropriate curse words and a depiction of a naked character. Quote, there is some rough, objectionable language in this book, said Lee Parkinson, the director of schools for McMinn County in eastern Tennessee. Mm, Art Spiegelman, the author of Mouse, told CNBC he was baffled by the decision. If you have not yet read Mouse, I highly recommend it. I also recommend following the Auschwitz Museum on social media for a memorial every day. And finally, Chastin Buttigieg, an educator and husband of Secretary Pete, is speaking out against legislation advanced in Florida that critics have dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill, arguing it could lead to more suicides among LGBTQ plus youths. The legislation, which supporters say is about parental rights, would, among its provisions, bar school districts in Florida from encouraging classroom discussions about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels or, quote, in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students, unquote. Parents would be empowered to sue if they think the schools are violating the law, another vigilante bullshit law. Quote, you're essentially pushing kids back into the closet, Chaston said Tuesday during an appearance on CNN. You're saying we can't even talk about our families. Florida State Rep Joe Harding, who introduced the bill, told reporters last week as it was advanced by a House committee that the legislation is about defending the most awesome responsibility a person can have being a parent. That job can only be given to you by above, Harding said. I have lots of questions about that line, but whatevs. Buttigieg argued that the legislation is hostile to families like his. And Pete Buttigieg is the first openly gay person to be confirmed to a cabinet position in the United States. And last year, the couple announced they adopted twins. Buttigieg said that, in his view, the bill is not about promoting parents' rights. He says, quote, I think it's about using LGBT community as a scapegoat which we've been used as multiple times throughout history, and I just don't agree with it. All right, Amy Carrero is about to join us for the good news, but first, a chat with the host of Justice Matters, Mr. Glenn Kirshner, about the Department of Justice. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by my favorite thing, real paper. Real paper products are incredible, they're amazing, they're good for the planet, and they're just, they're really well-made. I mean, have you ever thought about where your toilet paper comes from? For the most part, it comes from North American old growth forests. That's sad because every day we're cutting down thousands of trees to make something that we use one time and then throw away and ends up in landfills. And our forests remove almost a quarter of the carbon that we create. We create it, making our forests vital for fighting climate change and preserving our planet and our environment. 
By using real paper, you can make a real difference. Real paper products reduce plastic waste and deforestation. The paper and paper towels made by real paper are made from non-virgin tree fibers, so they don't contain any plastic, and no new trees are cut down to make them. Brilliant! A sustainable alternative without sacrificing quality. Real is the ideal choice for the environmentally conscious. Real Paper has already eliminated over 250,000 pieces of single-use plastic. That's amazing. And when you buy Real, you help fund clean sanitation programs around the world, which is so important. Uh, It's a pleasure to support Real Paper. I absolutely love it. And because of the company's commitment to saving the planet and not destroying it, I feel good about it. Their website makes buying Real Paper simple and hassle-free. They offer subscriptions or one-time purchases. And all orders are conveniently delivered right to your doorstep in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com slash dailybeans and sign up for a subscription using my code dailybeans at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order. 30% off. That's realpaper, R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com slash dailybeans or enter promo code dailybeans to get 30% off your first order. Real paper is toilet paper and paper towels that change lives. Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by my friend, host of Justice Matters, former federal prosecutor, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, how are you? I'm good, AG. How are you? Good. It's been so busy. And I'm sorry it took so long to get to you this week because I had to ask you about the news that we got a couple of days ago, right? A few days ago that the Department of Justice is reviewing the seven state conspiracy, I call it, at the forged elector documents. And in that very same conversation, Lisa Monaco said, and I can't comment on ongoing investigations, sort of indicating that it, it they might have already been looking at it. I just wonder your top line thoughts on this. Yeah. So it's no surprise that I suspect they've been looking at it. Now, the naysayers can say, well, the only reason they're looking at it is because Dana Nessel, the attorney general from Michigan, and I think it was the attorney general from New Mexico formally referred it for a, a possible federal investigation. But look, They've been looking at it, I suspect, for a very long time. We know they've been looking at Sidney Powell for a long time. We know they've been looking at the whole conspiracy, I am quite sure. So when Lisa Monaco, former colleague of mine from the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, says, I cannot comment about an ongoing investigation. Well, duh. So, yeah, I am I'm happy about the development. I'm not terribly surprised. You know, this is more criming in plain sight. When you have these, I'm sorry, idiot human beings signing their true names to fraudulent election certifications, falsely saying Donald Trump won states he lost, and then using the U.S. mails, which I hope we'll talk about in a minute, to send it to Congress and to send it to the National Archives. Come on now. You deserve to be prosecuted. Yeah. Now, what makes this a crime as opposed to, say, me just, you know, just like I, let's say I in 2016 put together a little thing of electors for California and said, you know what? Nope. I think, uh, you know, I think Hillary Clinton won. And uh, here's me and six of my friends and we're going to sign this and and mail it to the National Archives. How is that different or is it the same? Is it, it just as much of a crime? I mean, these are forgeries, but it's not like they've gone in and altered archives. They've created their own, you know, and they're all the same. And and then we also have the conspiracy aspect of this and who else was in on it. Uh, what what makes this a crime? Just like Joe Schmoes sending in fake electoral certificates through the mail. What makes it a crime? 
Well, first of all, if Joe Schmo is sending in fraudulent elector certificates saying that I am the duly sworn elector authorized by law to cast my electoral vote for somebody who, in fact, lost the election, and I'm certifying that they won the election, Joe Schmo could also be in trouble, particularly if he used the U.S. mails to send those fraudulent elector certificates. So, you know, the, the crime of forgery in the federal law is a little Byzantine, but, you know, there are actually some easy crimes, I think, that cover this conduct. And I have to tell you, my favorite is 18 U.S.C. 1341, because it is titled Frauds and Swindles. And, you know, when do we, I, when do we hear that old time term, you, hey, you lousy swindler? I mean, I don't know if Jimmy Cagney drafted this statute, but it sure sounds like a 1940s mob movie, right? Yeah, see, we got swindled. See? <laughs> yeah, you lousy rat. Hey, flat foot, I'm going to a lousy swindler. That's, that's all I got. So, um, so what it boils down to, and if you read it, uh, I, I welcome your, your viewers and listeners to read it, but it's, it's a bunch of legal, legal cumbersome mumbo jumbo. But here's what it boils down to. If you're involved in any uh, a scheme to defraud and you use the U.S. mails in furtherance of that scheme, you mail anything that is in furtherance of your scheme to defraud, you know what that is? That's a 20-year federal felony. We have 56 false, phony, bogus electors who signed their real names to these fraudulent electoral certificates, and they stuck it in the mail. Can you imagine the leverage that the Department of Justice will have on these 56 knuckleheads? Because that's 20 years for openers. Were they trying to interfere with the legitimate count of the electoral uh, college votes? Yes, they were. And as you know, as well as anybody, you picked it up early, 1512, right? 18 U.S.C. 1512, um, obstructing an official proceeding. There's another, what, 20 years? Yeah, 20 max. And then and then something else I've been seeing a lot lately. I think it's the 18 U.S. Code 327, which is interfering with an officer. And when I saw that pop up in the Oath Keepers uh, indictment, I sort of glazed past it because I felt they were I thought it meant interfering with the Metropolitan Police Department there at the Capitol that day. But what it actually means is the officer they were interfering with was Mike Pence and Mike Pence doing his duty. And so that you could also have that because they did send these to Congress. Mike Pence was aware of them and changed his language that day on the dais when he was getting the certificates read and then also the National Archives. So, I mean, there's it seems like there's all kinds of at least potential. Yeah, I mean, of course, you have to have the proof of intent and et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, at least these are starting points, right? Yeah. Yeah. There there are, I think, criminal offenses that are going to be pretty easy to make. And when you look at the, the U.S. code, it's full of minutia, Byzantine minutia about crimes where you're interfering with this government function or impeding the official duties of that officer. And you know, I don't pretend to have absorbed it all because most of them lie dormant until you get something like this happen. So, yeah, this is going to be easy pickings for the federal prosecutors who are assessing these false elector certificates. And I just love that they're going to have lots of leverage to then flip these people and work our way up the criminal food chain, which I have to believe may already be underway. And then I had a I had a technical question for you because you were a federal prosecutor for a really long time. 
And Rudy Giuliani was part of this. He, he, he might, may have led this seven state conspiracy or coordinated it. And he was raided in April and had 18 electronic devices seized. And Barbara Jones, the special master, has been going through all this. And this is, you know, for old stuff. This is for Ukraine stuff and that whole thing. And so, you know, because of the, you know, search and seizure and, and all that defendants rights, they, she can't just find any crime in here and say and hand it over. So how would you as a prosecutor, if you were looking into this seven state scheme and wanted what was on Giuliani's devices, they've already been seized by the government. What do you do? Do you go to court and get a judge to sign off on a warrant for you to be able to search those devices yourself for what you're looking for? How does that work and how does that still maintain criminal defendants' rights, which are important? They are important. So there are a couple of different legal principles at play. Let me start with the basic one, which is the plain view doctrine. And what that stands for is anytime a law enforcement agent is looking at something with lawful authority. If he or she finds something else that is evidence of a crime, it is deemed in plain view and it's admissible. So it's already righteously, lawfully, constitutionally seized. The other thing, the other sort of complicating factor, I started as a prosecutor in the 80s when we didn't have computers, electronic devices, or DNA. So I've watched things evolve. So when we started to seize computers and cell phones and electronic devices, And we would get search warrants from the court saying, you know, we want to search these because we have probable cause to believe there's evidence of crime. You really can't do targeted searches. What we would do, we would give it to our electronic forensic experts. They would download everything that was on that device. And then they would begin searching for key keywords and key terms through what I mean, if you put it in a room, it would probably fill a room with paper if you printed it out, right? So the other thing that I would do as a belt and suspenders approach, if I had Rudy's electronic devices and I was looking for his dirty dealing in Ukraine, FARA violations and that kind of stuff, and I stumbled upon J6 stuff, stuff designed to attempt to overthrow our democracy, even though I could avail myself of the plain view doctrine, I would go back to court and I would say, judge, belt and suspenders, I'm already looking at this stuff constitutionally, because I'm doing it pursuant to a valid search warrant, albeit a search for something else, I'd like to apply for another search warrant. 10 times out of 10, the federal judge will issue that second search warrant. And that way you're bulletproof when the defense files the inevitable motion to suppress, claiming that you overstep your legal authority on the first warrant. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's the, if it's the special master who's going through this, and truth be told, most of Rudy's communications were handed over. But if this, it's the special master going through this or if yeah. or if she hasn't been authorized to go past 2019, then I would assume how I mean, how would a prosecutor be able to get a warrant and have probable cause to know that there might be crimes on those devices that aren't even being looked at? It wouldn't be in plain view. Great question. And and here is the role of a special master or uh, another version of that is the taint team. We had internal taint teams all the time where a colleague of mine from another division of the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. would have something and I would act as the taint team review point person. And you can do some of that when I'm going to say the stakes are a little bit lower. So but the special master is not looking for evidence of crime. The special master is looking for privileged matters. 
And so I do not believe unless the special master was given specific instructions when appointed by the judge that you may only look within these parameters. That's generally not the role of a special master. It is you can look at everything that has lawfully been seized and you have to review it for possible attorney client privilege or other. There could be some lingering executive privilege, but it's really primarily attorney client privilege. So it's not date specific. It's not offense specific. It would all go over if it wasn't privileged, even if it related to other crimes, is my belief. And if she sees a crime that isn't part of the case, what? It goes over as long as it's not privileged material. She's not trying to decide, is this evidence of crime or not? And if it is evidence of crime, which crime? That's not her role. Just checking for privileged matters. And and if I remember correctly, that there was a battle actually with Rudy's lawyers who were trying to cut it off. They were trying to put a date range around it and say only uh, 2018 to 2019. And that's it. And the judge said, no, yeah, we aren't going to put a date range on this. So not the way it operates. All right. Well, that's really interesting. I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> because they were seized in April, four months after the insurrection and the seven state conspiracy went down treasure trove of dirt. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. I know they're working uh, furiously over there at the Southern District and uh, doing a separate Ukraine investigation in the Eastern District that I don't think involves Rudy, at least not yet. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens because they have they've seized all these devices and therefore they are in the government's hands and anything that isn't attorney client privilege is going to be sent over. Yep. Awesome. That's the way it works. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate that. Everybody watch Justice Matters. We're going to I have a feeling we'll be talking more in the coming weeks as this things heat up as if they aren't already. But I I appreciate your time today. Glenn Kirshner. I'll see you soon, A.G. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's A.G. And today's show is brought to you by the best mattress in the universe, Helix. And that's, you know, sold by Helix Sleep. I'm sure you do not enjoy waking up tired after a bad night's sleep of tossing and turning or night sweats like I get. And for years, I had trouble getting a good night's sleep because of those things and maybe some anxiety. And, you know, I actually went and took the online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and found out that it wasn't necessarily those things, but I was sleeping on a mattress that was made for somebody else. It wasn't made to my specifications. Now, you can choose from a wide array of mattresses that match and fit your body type and sleep preferences. And they have soft, medium and firm mattresses. They have body temperature regulating mattresses. They have spinal alignment mattresses and a Helix Plus for plus-size sleepers. Uh, The Helix Midnight Bed is what I was looking for because I'm a side sleeper and I prefer a medium-firm mattress, so I got matched up with that, and I have had nothing but the best night's sleep of my life every night since. And due to Helix, I can sleep instantly, I stay stay asleep, and then I wake up refreshed. Now, you know Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. You know that. You know they were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And you also know that leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve sleep. They also have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. You guys know all this. What you don't know is how much I truly, literally love my Helix. I couldn't live without it because sleep is so important to me. And they have financing options available too and flexible payment plans. I mean, they, they take away all the obstacles, right? And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows in case you bought a MyPillow before you knew. Uh, but you, you know, just head to helixsleep.com slash daily beans and you can take advantage of this offer. That's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash daily beans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows.
Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news, and I'm very excited because it's Friday, so let's roll the music. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Friday means Amy Carrero Day. Hey, Amy, how is it going? Hi. It's going good, you know, just getting through. Yeah, yeah, yes, it's... <laughs> It's been a week. Yes. And yeah. And it's still only Thursday. I know this comes out on Friday, but Friday's scaring me a the little dump, bit. Like, the dump. The <laughs> dump. It's coming, baby. Because <laughs> Wednesday was redonk. So uh, we'll see what happens for the rest of this week. And then, of course, you know, everybody, I'll be around for the Muller She Wrote book club and um, Muller She Wrote this Sunday. And then Dane will be back in your ears on Monday. But let's kick this good news off. If you, and, and by the way, if any of you have any good news, corrections, confessions, my new favorite thing, which is your whoobies or your lovies, huh? uh, photos of those, send them in to us. And of course, if you have a, a dispute that you want settled mm. in Amy's court, dun dun. You can send everything into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'm going to kick us off with these first two because the first one's a little short. Yep. And the first one comes from Diana. No pronouns given. I have a Mondegreen. That's a misheard song lyric. For years, I thought Bob Dylan was singing the ants are my friends <laughs> instead of the answer my friend <laughs> is blowing in the wind. <laughs> the That's appropriate. The ants are my friends. It's blowing in the wind. And then I wonder if you pictured like little ants blowing like, in the breeze. <gasps> being carried away on the wind like in Charlotte's Web, how the babies get carried away. That's what comes to my mind. Help me. Love all your shows. Big fan. I'm a regular donor to Glenn's Team Justice. Excellent. A Team Justice member. Keep up the great work. And then next up from Kaylin, pronouns she and her. I don't really have that much good news to share at the moment, but I do have some photos for you. Mm -hmm. And another one sentence factoid. Kangaroos have not one, not two, but three vaginas and two uteruses. What? I can barely keep up with one. I like this plan. I feel like you could, like, send someone down a wild goose chase, as it were. And, <laughs> yes. like, avoid, yeah, to be like, All right, you're going to use, what's behind vagina number three? And you tell them. <laughs> Teeth. <laughs> Not a uterus. So yeah. you don't get to have a joey. Uh, nails. <laughs> Nothing. Absolutely nothing. She says, I started doing embroidery to help with my mental health. I've included a photo of each of the completed freeform, freeform embroidery Whoa. projects I did for Christmas for my sons. My eldest is really into leaf cutter ants. Oh, speaking of blown mm. in the wind, mm-hmm. leaf cutter ants. And my little one is still mastering his colors. I also included photos of the boys after they open their gifts. I hope this brings a smile. Look at this. It's beautiful wow, work. freeform. Oh, my gosh. I need a pattern to do any of that. Dude, look at the leafcutter ant. That's amazing. That's incredible. Oh, look at that. And I love the little wood frame, too. <gasps> they love it. They love it. Oh, how cool. I could cross-stitch for hours, but I could never <sighs> do it freeform. I wouldn't even know what I... Oh, amazing. I know. Good for you. No, I'd be- I need a pattern, right? I'm like, this is brilliant. Good job. Yes, great job. Okay, next up, we have Tim F. I have a misheard song lyric. (laughs) Quick background, I was an Air Force brat and then a U.S. Army soldier stationed in Germany. So I have a decent understanding of the German language. When I got stationed in Germany in 1984, Van Halen released the song Panama, which was a huge hit. Yes, I hear Tannenbaum, (laughs) Christmas tree, I've been told he's singing Panama, but I only hear Tannenbaum. So to me, the smash hit is the worst Oh Christmas Tree cover ever. (laughs) Keep up the good work, ladies, and thank you for your service, Allison. 
Oh my God, that's amazing. That's hilarious. And I see him like jumping in the air and doing the splits and stuff. That's so cool. He just fucking loves Christmas, man. (laughs) Just that scream. (laughs) So incredible. So amazing. Thank you for that. And thank you for your service. I had friends who would guard missiles in in Germany. I'm probably not supposed to tell anyone that. That's probably classified. Oh, well. Whatever. They'll be knocking at my door here in a second. No, look at they me. do know where you live. Excuse me, Petty Officer Gill. No one's called me that in 30 years. <laughs> Next up from Brenty, pronouns he and him. Hi, Beans team. I've been thinking about how to get through to some of our fellow citizens who are buying into vaccine disinformation. Mm. Mm-hmm. I tried a new approach with a friend recently, and I think we might have gotten somewhere. I said, let's look at vaccines and alternative treatments through the lens of capitalism. Merck makes ivermectin. If ivermectin was effective against COVID, Merck would be on every fucking channel everywhere telling you how great their product is. Their stock would soar. They'd make tons of money. They aren't doing that. So Merck knows ivermectin doesn't work. If 7-Up cured herpes, 7-Up would fucking say so. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Now let's take a quick gander at the vaccines. If Pfizer's vaccine was not safe and effective, Their rival, Moderna, would fund media campaigns saying so. If Moderna's vaccine was dangerous, Johnson & Johnson would make damn sure we all knew about it. Instead, what those companies say is, sure, their stuff works, but we think ours works best. Hmm. In a world where it's hard to know what to believe, you can always rely on billionaires being greedy. You don't have to tell them that a lot of vaccine disinformation originates in Russia, that Putin wants to destabilize the West because he's still pissed about the Cold War. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, work up to that. Work up to that. (laughs) To start with, get your conned friend or family member to look at the issues through the lens of corporate greed. I mean, capitalism. (laughs) For my pet tax, my pal S'mores hugs from the frozen ass Wisconsin Northwoods. Oh, my God. My friend has a cabin on the border of Wisconsin and Minnesota. And I absolutely love it up there. But I love that. If 7-Up cured herpes, 7-Up would fucking say so. It's so fucking true. Look at this baby face. And Brenty, hats off to you for even taking that job on because that is very hard. And just congrats. I I appreciate you. And this doggo with the little hair clip. I know. (laughs) Keep it out of her eyes, right? Yeah. My hair's too long. Love it. Okay, next up, we've got Teresa, pronounced she, her. After grad school and many temp jobs, I finally found a job that I love that also made decent money. Running cultural tours to Cuba for everyone from celebrities to regular families to descendants of Cubans who left like my family. But the pandemic, of course, ruined that. Hmm. But I am happy to report that we are back in business. That's my Oprah voice. I feel so happy. I might cry. Also, shout out to my friend Heidi, who told me about this podcast. We listen every day and discuss. She is the best. And we've been friends since we were awkward teenagers at Nerd Camp. Nerd oh, Camp. Cool. I went to Nerd Camp. I went to Nerd Camp. I totally went. To what nerd was the Nerd Camp? What was the theme of the Nerd Camp? It's just camp. Science. <laughs> it's just you camp. fucking nerds. I mean, I did go to science camp and I did go to choir and band camp, which are oh, pretty yeah. nerdy camps. But I didn't yeah. go to chess camp, although I wanted to. But my biggest camp thing that I loved was Girl Scout camp. And I ended up teaching horseback riding and archery after I was went for enough years. But it, it's all nerd. We're all nerds. We're all nerds. I love that. Uh, Teresa, that's so cause probably her name is Teresa. And I love mm. that. I'm, I grew up in Miami. I have a lot of Cuban friends in the diaspora who some have gone back, some have not. 
And it's just amazing what you're doing. And I'm sure it's bringing lots of closure and lots of healing to families that had to leave everything behind in the late 50s. So Mm. thank you. Yeah. And do you want to take the next one? Because that one was kind of short. Hell yeah. And I love your voice. I want to hear it more. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Next up, (laughs) Meredy. Rhymes with charity. Meredy. I love it. Pronounce she, her. Allow me to introduce my adult whoopee. Airshow bear. Airshow bear, ASB, travels with me to airshows and has been to over 30. He's taken a break during COVID, but he was back at it last summer for AirVenture in Wisconsin. He even has his own Instagram, at airshowbear. Though in writing this, I realized he needs to post a lot more. I don't have an Instagram, so I have a hard time teaching him about it. Now, sometimes when someone sees Airshow Bear taking a selfie, they look at me strangely. Explain, it's for my little nieces. I leave out that while that may be true a decade ago, my nieces are now teens and too cool for ASB. But they awe as I take my whoopee out of his camelback carrier and give him my phone so he can take a selfie with P51s. Photos are ASB at Fleet Week in San Francisco, his favorite event. I am in love with adult whoobies. I love Airshow Bear. This is so, so cute. Cute. In his camelback carrier, ready to see some planes and making a friend at Air Adventure in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oh my gosh. I, I can't tell I can't tell you how much I love this, uh, Amy. It reminds me of uh when I was little. I would, uh, I should say when I was like a teenager and probably not a very well-behaved teenager, Mm -hmm. uh, I would take the, like, like we lived in Arizona. So one of the common themes in front yards were either pink flamingos or a little sleeping siesta Mexican statue. And my neighbor had one of them and we, we would take him, like we would steal him in the night and then like take him to like Disneyland and Four Corners and Tombstone. And take all these photos with them. And then we would return them with like the double prints tucked underneath and a letter saying, thanks for letting me go out for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Did they ever know it was you? No, no, they never figured it out. But they should have. I mean, I was they should have. I was the punk that was stealing all the baby Jesuses from nativity scenes. Oh, my God. So. Taking them to strip clubs. <laughs> no, I just I, I just kept them in my car. But and I don't I, I did return them. I put little post-it notes for the where with their addresses on them and I would return them on Easter. So I just want oh to. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Because he did. Long. He did return. He returned on Easter Sunday. That's the story. Right. And so I love it. That's fucking hilarious. I'm a terrible, terrible teenager. In fact, I was so notorious for for Jack and the baby Jesuses that the church Saint Jesus Jacker Saint Timothy's, which was which was my church and my parish for the for the Catholic school I went to, Saint Timothy's, actually ended up putting a low Jack in their baby Jesus because oh, people kept stealing. It. My God, A G Jesus Jacker. Allison Jesus hell. Jacker Gill. Anyway, that's an interesting thing to share. I'm going to get some emails, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you for that, though. I love Airshow Bear. So cool. Is it the Star of India? It looks like it. I can't tell. Okay. Anyway, next no up from idea. Kelly. <laughs> Pronoun she and her. Dear legume ladies and occasional gentlemen. No. Oh. I'm recovering from a hysterectomy and taking great comfort in my daily beans, the tissue mending purrs of my orange tabby cat and Fival the stargazing immigrant mouse from American Tale, 1986. Mm. Santa gave me the mouse when I was nine. Aww. Mm. He has since since spent most nights in my bed, and I think he may have subconsciously impacted my ability to empathize with immigrants and asylum seekers. Mm. 
I recently splurged on a vintage Fievel for my granddaughter's third birthday gift. And I'm looking forward to watching the movie with her when she's a little older and talking with her about why diversity is America's greatest strength. We will not be watching the sequels. As far as my grandbaby will know, there are no sequels. Speaking of my granddaughter, she recently said something I thought might be worthy of shit kids say. I'm vegetarian, so we often have to improvise dinner when she visits. Last time, she pointed to the freezer and asked for a puppy stick. (laughs) After at least 10 minutes of linguistic detective work, I realized she was asking for a corn dog. (laughs) 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 She, She remembered me giving her a vegetarian dog on a stick last visit, but unfortunately I was out. Instead, breaded and deep fried a couple veggie meatballs, added a popsicle stick and served puppy <gasps> balls. <laughs> Amazing. Hilarious. That is ingenious. That is puppy stick. Of course. C- corn dog puppy stick makes perfect sense. Because well, at first I was like, did she just not like it? Like, did it taste yeah. like dog food to her? No, it's a puppy stick. I get it. Or is she trying to say popsicle? Yeah. And just right. Not it, right. Right. Love but it. That is talk about resourceful. Mm-hmm. I got I have wow. to say it. Kelly. Good for you. Kelly goes on to say, thank you for giving me something to distract myself from the temporary post-surgical yuckiness of my life. Mm. For my pod pet tax, I'm attaching a photo of my kitty and Fievel, who aren't the greatest of friends, but occasionally snuggle. (laughs) P.S. The red nail tips are silicone slip-ons. And yes, they do prevent blooded grandchildren and and shredded leather furniture. I love those things. Wait, that's a thing? Yeah, yeah. The little silicone tips you pop on their claws and then they can't. Can't tear That's shit great because it's better. I mean, right? Because declawing is like very inhum- inhumane, uh, right? It's not great. It's like, oh, worse. yeah. It's, I don't know it's anything a, about it's cats. It's illegal here in California. It's a, yeah, good. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Good. Oh, I'm glad that there's an alternative. Wow. And it's pretty. It is. It's very chic. Let's just be fair. It's pretty. And look yeah. at Fievel. That's so rad. Wow. That's amazing. I can't, I don't think I have anything that I've kept that long. Because I'm just so careless with my things. Like, you know what I mean? It would just be like a threadbare bear at this point. Yeah. No, yeah. I've got some ripped up old stuffed animals that you just can't get rid of. And yeah. you know how your mom's like, all right, we got to get rid of some of these, you know, yeah. when you're when you're getting to junior high or whatever. And you're like, fine, take them all except these two, you know, and then you keep <laughs> your favorite too. Uh, it's always, yeah, it's always reminded me of, of kind of that sort of how to get rid of things, you yeah. know? Like mm-hmm. that you're just super attached to. But yeah, we had a story last week about somebody who had a whoopee that eventually became two whoobies. Right. Which actually was helpful because if one whoopee went missing, they had the other whoopee. And so, Love it. yeah. So now they've actually with their second kid, they went ahead and bought three whoobies. Smart. To start with. Yes. I love that. And I imagine you have to try to give them all the same amount of wear and tear so that they seem the same. Otherwise, you're handing a brand new shiny whoopee to a kid. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that. That's so true. My brother had like his baby blanket that for years that I think was the blanket they gave him at the hospital when he was born. He kept that for a really long time, which I remember that was like a big deal when he lost it on a plane or some shit. I don't remember. I know. Such a bummer. Or left it on a plane. But um, I love that. You know, we all need comforts. We all need our like mm-hmm. tactile things that bring us, you know, yeah, our feelings whoobies. of yeah, comfort and safety. We need our whoobies. For patrons, I'll I'll share my my ice bat whoobie with you, which has been my adult whoobie for the last eighteen years, I think. Ice bat. Yeah, it's a, it's a a monsters doll. It's something that oh, you yeah. I, I got from Comic Con. A long time ago. I have several other ones. I have a Hello Kitty ice bat and an ice bat Batman, an ice Batman. Oh, cool, cool. But the OG ice bat is is 
the one that's, you know, oh, like I'm if looking my mom. Up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lisa, I'm looking him up. Oh, that's so cute. Like if my mom came and said, all right, time to get rid of your whoobies, I would be like, all right, you can take the Hello Kitty and the Iceman yeah. Batman, but you can't take the ice, the original. Not the OG baby. Nope. And uh, thank you so much for sending all these in. If you have other whoobies that you want to share with us, I love the spaghetti squash one. That was my favorite. <sighs> and any pa- pod pet pics or shit kids say, this form embroidery is gorgeous. Any of your hobbies, paintings, things that you do, um, send them all into us. We love to see this stuff. I love to read about it. And it just, it makes my week and it makes my day every single day. So you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Amy, <laughs> do you have any final thoughts? Um... Yeah, it's almost over, I think, January, with with the only bright spot being these like news dumps that we live for. So I'm I'm looking forward to February. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be things, you know, maybe I don't know. It's going to be better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is January hard? Hard January is hard on everybody, right? It's the Monday of the year. It's the that's what you said. Exactly. Because today I was like, am I depressed or is it January? Like, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> And we're inside and it's COVID. So I've yeah. been getting a lot of vitamin D and that can make yes. you give so you true. that, you know, a um, yeah. little bit of seasonal depression. And yep, yep, unless yep. you're unless you're one of our listeners in uh, Australia or New Zealand or oh, something. Yeah. It's summertime. Then wearing your sunscreen, babies. Definitely. And your sunnies, which are which is what they call sunglasses. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I hope that everyone has a wonderful weekend. And, you know, again, I'll see you Sunday and then I'll be back with Dana Monday. And until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. And I'm Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.